Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Hey, Jay. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. And you? Uh, I am. Uh, well, it's an early Saturday morning and I'm, I'm God, I always think I want to have something really clever. And I thought I did and I blew it. You know, it, it, I was going to say, yes, you know, more more worn out than a, a 24 hour uh, house manager doing a 24 hour. Uh, oh, see, statement. I, I was waiting but, for a John um, Roberts doing yeah, double duty I, I, sort of thing. But that uh, would have been better. Yeah, we, I was going to save something about <laughs> we'll get to that. John we, Roberts being the hardest working man in show business. There you go. That's um, a great. Well, we'll, so, have, we'll, but, have to, we'll have to edit that to make you sound awesome. We could do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, before we get to John Roberts and everything else, I've got a quick but important message for everyone to start with today. You know, I totally understand hit the, to the impulse to hit the skip button when you hear an ad on a podcast. I mean, I've done it myself a few times, but I want to let everyone know that not hitting skip actually helps support the show. Uh, podcast analytics, for better or worse, are now at a point where sponsors know when people are skipping ads. Creepy. They're watching. Yeah, yeah. they're watching. And the more people skip, the less we actually make from sponsorships. And of course, we are not, as you might have picked up, some great big media conglomerate. So those extra dollars really do make a difference to us. And uh, of course, if you're super anti-ad, hey, I get that too. We always offer completely ad-free versions of every episode to all our Patreon supporters. And that's at, of course, patreon.com slash politicsguys. And also, I want to thank one of our sponsors today, the Pawnee Public Forum, a podcast about parks and recreations, which is one of my all-time favorite TV comedies. The hosts, Mike and Josh, watch every episode together and then have great discussions after. And usually things, you know, don't go too far off the rails. There's no question in my mind that Tom and Donna would highly recommend that you... Treat yourself to the Pawnee Public Forum, which you can find wherever you get your podcast or by clicking on the link you'll find in the show notes. Okay, Jay, on to our top story for today, which is... What's going on this week, Mike? You know, not, a, not a whole <laughs> lot, huh? So I guess we'll be talking about impeachment, right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, what's, uh, uh, what's kind of the, the lowdown on, on this week in impeachment? Well, you know, be- between... It, this is was we're in a weird situation here, Mike, because this is a topic we have talked about quite a while. Ad nausea, Mr. Freeze, it comes to mind for me, but yeah. Um, and and I think the the conventional wisdom, and I think conventional wisdom is right, is that that you know Trump will be acquitted. The only minor drama is is you know who defects on either either side. Um, and in either case, uh, those defections will be minimal, right? It's going to be sort of. Trivia points of hey, who was the Democrat who voted to um, uh, you know to acquit Trump? It, it was Joe Manchin. Um, you know who was the Republican who voted to convict? Well, it, you know, it was Mitt Romney or perhaps Olympia Snow, someone like that. But uh, you know, it, it compared to um, the the uh, Nixon impeachment, where there was actually a, a president was going to resign and they didn't have the votes, and it was clear that there was going to be a conviction, uh, or the Clinton uh, uh, impeachment, where uh, although impeachment seemed unlikely, uh, there there still seemed to be um, it still seemed possible. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. And, and, and again, it was um, there was still a sense of drama, and there was also a sense of of um, novelty about it, right? Because the last time uh, it had happened uh, with Nixon, uh, obviously, it was a huge uh, national uh, drama. 
uh, and and then you know sort of people expected the same with Clinton, and then it kind of yeah, sort of fizzled. Um, and now where we live in a twenty four seven news cycle, um, and, and I think maybe we need to come up with a better word than that because twenty four seven doesn't really quite do it justice. Mm-hmm. Um, with with all the information that we're exposed to constantly, um, it it's sort of it's sort of like this is has been so on and over for so long. So, I mean, you and I were coming up with, trying to come up with a different way to look at it, a different way to talk about it. Um, and, you know, I guess one, one, one suggestion was, and I don't know whether we'll do this or not, but, you know, I, I, argue, I make the argument um, uh, for impeachment and you make the argument against uh, was one suggestion. Um, the other is maybe just to, to think about it in, uh, bigger institutional terms is is where you know what does this mean what does this say and I think one of my big big takeaways on this um, is uh, that that we're we're living now in a a, a world where it, it, impeachment seems it should be really hard but it also seems really easy and it's also uh, it's it's one of these it's 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 kind of like a Clinton. It's it would seem very easy to indict but very difficult to convict. Um mm-hmm. and I'm wondering sort of where our founders would have would have been on on this, if they would have approved of the easy indictment road but tough conviction road, obviously uh placing it in the Senate and having the high burden of, of two thirds um would would indicate that they were were for the latter. Um but I, I mean I kinda wanna get get your thoughts on that. I mean if you know, just structurally, uh, is is there something that um, Congress ought to have pursued instead, or ought to pursue in the future that is, you know, closer to censure? And it's almost a weird thing because censure seems to be such a bland remedy that if 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 we say, well, well, not impeachment, censure, uh, then you have, you know, I think every president uh, who has a uh, opposite party controlling Congress ends up being censured going forward. Well, so I, yeah, I, I think you know this reminds me of an onion article for from a not too from I guess a few months ago I forget the title was something like Senate Republicans stand and watch as Donald Trump slowly strangles their all their relatives basically and right. you know with like the Lindsey Graham stand in saying well you know I wouldn't personally put uh, strangle my five-year-old granddaughter but it's not like the president's doing anything that's impeachable that's and, right. and you know obviously the onion in its own way I think making the point that uh, and this goes back to your you know talk about the the framers, uh, you know, I think the framers totally missed the boat on how powerful factions would be. And certainly they couldn't have known anything about modern media. And, and so I, I feel like certainly... Well, I, I might disagree with you a little bit on that, but, okay. but maybe, maybe let's put the founders at the time the, the of the founding, right? In, in say, uh, 1781 or something, maybe they wouldn't have. But I think by like 1800, uh, yeah. you, you've had that. But yeah, but I'm sorry, go ahead. But, but the founders had, I think, this wild idea that uh, that the legislature would be not just the co-equal branch, but the first branch. And we've yeah. talked about this a lot. And, of course, that hasn't happened in, in a long time. And so, you know, I was thinking about it this morning when I was pretending to meditate and uh, uh, getting madder and madder at, at, at some of the – at many of the senators, and then I thought, you know, that's that's unfair. They are a product of the of the system that brought them into office, and so I find it personally uh, incredibly difficult to 
take some of the positions that they are, uh, especially Republican senators are coming up with on uh, with a straight face. But of course, it's it's not about the guilt or innocence of Donald Trump. It's you know it's it's interesting, not interesting, but it's sad how all these positions on the guilt or innocence track almost exactly with uh, how imperiled your your state is if you're up for reelection. You know that that sort of thing. So yeah. no, and I think I think that's this is one of these these. Um these times where we we are confronted with sort of the fundamental maybe randomness of of how our society works how our government works um you know i often sort of advanced a theory that you know if you look at if you if you look at the universe sort of like an, on the big view you sort of see like you know newtonian gravity working and it's all clockwork and it all seems to work but the closer you you get the more smaller you look you get into that quantum mechanics world where uh, you know weird stuff just happens uh, and, and, you know, the, the closer you look, the more random it gets. And you look at stuff like, you know, elections and juries, and there's, there's always just this, this element of, of randomness that we so often, um, like to write out of, of our, of how we view how our government's supposed to work. Right. Because it just, it just feels wrong. Um, but, uh, as, as we've said ad nauseum and as so many other, uh, uh, folks have said, um, impeachment is a, a political process. And because it's a political process, it's got all the weird goofiness um, of, of a political process. If this were a purely judicial uh, uh, proceeding, um, I think the argument would be different. And, and you and I have talked about this, and, and I think uh, I think you, you, you've, you've recognized there's sort of the um, principled conservative position where you can say, uh, yes, we believe uh, Trump did everything he's accused of doing. Uh, however, it is not doesn't rise to the impeachable offense uh, as a as a matter of law, uh, which again is is a weird thing because it's not a, a court deciding as a matter of law. It's it's a bunch of elected senators deciding as a matter of law, um, uh, and and sort of as a secondary fallback, there's sort of the prudential of uh, reason of of even you know assuming he did all these things, uh, is this the is uh, removal from office the appropriate sanction uh, in light of uh, you know what it would do to the rest of the country. Yeah. Um, so I think that, and, and that's that is sort of the position I've been, and I've been, in, and I'm in the luxury to have to take that position because I'm not elected by anybody. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I guess uh, you know, but, if, well, if it were up to me, I, I rather would have uh, uh, see that more principled uh, sort of sort of response that look, this was. Uh, this was not ideal. This was not a perfect phone call. Uh, we expect more of the president of the United States. If I was going to make my argument, because um, I thought about this, because a friend challenged me sort of, of of like, OK, if you were to make the argument for impeachment, what would it be? It, it would be something along the lines of what you just mentioned, that the founders uh, put the legislative branch uh, uh, in Article one for a reason. Uh, and the founders were also would have been extremely concerned about executive overreach. Uh, and in this case, the, the legislature made an act, committed an act saying we want these funds dispersed. Uh, the executive did not necessarily have discretion to do so. And even if the executive did have discretion to do so, uh, to hold them up, um, uh, did not have the discretion to do so for, uh, a, a, a personal political reason. Uh, that would that would be my argument. Um, again, those those views don't necessarily represent everything I what I would say. But if I were to try to make the the better, more principled argument from um, 
from an originalist sort of standpoint, right? That's I think where that's generally the outlines where I go. Now, let me ask you. You mentioned that being the argument for impeachment, but of course that that ship is sailed. What about is that the same as the argument for removal? I think you know. I think the argument for removal is, is kind of more of the same, and it's just a matter of degree of is this is this uh, an offense that is uh, so grave that um, essentially it cannot be forgiven, right? Um, and forgiveness is sort of a, a political question, right? So I, I, I would look at it that way. And, and I'm, I'm still on the fence there as far as I, I think it's a, you know, in, in this case, at the end of the day, no harm was done. Uh, they got the money. Uh, Trump didn't get the investigation. And perhaps he should have had the investigation, right? Because yeah, I, 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 I also still, that, I think that's still a... A, a valid point. And to me, that's one of the biggest weaknesses of, of the House impeachment articles is that uh, it, it depends on motive. Well, and, and, and when you say no harm is done, you're talking about in the immediate sense, you're not talking about no harm being done to the separation of powers or the right, role right, of right. Congress. I, well, well, well maybe in both senses, right? Because hmm, okay. um, look, the, Congress's will was done. The Ukrainians got the money. Uh, there was no... Um, um, uh, you know, quid pro quo, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, as far as damage to the, 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 uh, the, the, the balance of power, uh, separation of power, uh, again, I, I don't see that be, because exactly for that reason, right? Well, if, I, if, I, if we proceed with the House's theory that, well, Trump, uh, he would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids, um, you know, then, but but he was found out, so therefore he released the money. If you if you follow that theory, buy into that theory, then it sort of uh, essentially says, yeah, no harm, no foul, and, and Congress appropriately asserted itself, and Trump backed off. I I I see the argument. I, I don't I don't find that convincing. You know, I I feel that when you have a president who seems perfectly comfortable flouting the law, and I would argue, you know, it talks about this one perfect phone call. It's not just about a phone call. It's about a, uh, it is about a, you might call it a vast scheme, if you will. Uh, but, but also a president who basically makes, not basically, but essentially makes a blanket claim that uh, we can just ignore Congress, uh, not, not citing executive privilege, just saying to everyone, no one talk about anything. And then uh, cowing these these sad, hollow men in his own party in Congress, so that they wouldn't dare to say or do anything. And I would expect that of someone like a Lindsey Graham, who has kind of been like a lost puppy dog ever since John McCain died. But uh, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, it's a really a pathetic sight, I think. And uh, to me, that there's a huge damage if Congress doesn't push back whenever any president who shows contempt for the law and contempt for the Congress, uh, Congress doesn't push back hard against that. And to well, me, by, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to interrupt, interrupt you a second, but by that rationale, I mean, shouldn't Clinton have been impeached and removed? Well, I, you mean, you I mean, I mean I, he, I'm just saying in, 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 again, looking back, uh, and, and I think you, you and I both uh, would tend to agree to the extent our agreement means anything whatsoever that uh, and, and most legal authorities would would tend to agree that uh, high crimes and misdemeanors does not necessarily require a a violation of a U.S. code statute. Right. Um, or a state law or something like that. But in the Clinton situation, there were I mean, there were plain you know, violations of law 
whereas this is is the more amorphous uh, abuse of power. Um, so, uh, yeah, but if that were the case, then. Well, no, I think that there are differences in that. What what Clinton did now, the case against Clinton was was proved much more clearly. But then there's the secondary issue of whether or not that violation of the law or that offense rises to the level of a removable, removable, able offense. It's much easier. It was a disbarable offense. Oh, sure. Sure. Disbarable. But is it removable? -able? I don't, I don't think so in Clinton's <laughs> cases, but I certainly think so given the scope of what Donald Trump is doing, that it's absolutely removable. -able. Would, would, uh, would your, would your position be that the Trump situation is, is more significant and more removable? I mean, to the extent that we're, we're making up that term, um, uh, because it involved foreign actors versus purely, uh, both because it involved domestic. Yeah. Both because it involved foreign actors, uh, uh, both because it involved that and also just the scope of his defiance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and, oh, see, I, I, I would push back against you there because it's one thing for, uh, the president to instruct his advisors not to, to, to cooperate or testify, because there is a, a real thing of executive privilege. Donald Trump has and, never cited that at one. At, well, well, if you want to say he hasn't, he hasn't cited it. Well, I, I mean, it, it, it's true. That's why I want to say it. No, I mean, he's, he's cited. They've subpoenaed. They there was went to court, and the Democrats then withdrew the the court case. Um, and I think there's there's certainly whether whether he has you know officially said this is executive privilege or no, not. No, but but what he said is just a blanket. Now, executive privilege is certainly a very real thing, even though it's nowhere in the Constitution, or maybe it appears right next to that right to privacy. I don't know, but it's it certainly has been established through precedent. But yeah. executive privilege doesn't mean that you can ignore that the, that the executive can do blanket. You have these blanket sweeping things. Is no one say anything? So executive privilege is more when a specific request is made saying, no, we will not do that because of this specific reason, which falls under executive privilege. That's right. not we what Donald not Trump did. We will not comply with the subpoena. Yeah. Exactly. What Donald Trump has said was just, this is a blanket. No one say anything yeah. or else you'll get whacked. I don't know. Or taken out, but, I think. But, but, no, but of course, again, there's not a in, – in the, the, the situation we have, the way congressional subpoenas work as opposed to court subpoenas – uh, there's not a, a necessarily a response where you go to the court and say, I move to quash this subpoena. Uh, I'm not going to show up for reasons X, Y, and Z. Um, it, it is more just a matter of like, well, you just kind of throw it in the trash. Um, which is exactly also what Eric Holder, uh, and, and his justice department had done, uh, during fast and furious. And there were multiple times where the Congress had cited him to be in contempt of, of Congress for failing to show, failing to produce records, uh, and and so forth. Um, yet yet no impeachment. So I I'm 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 willing to you know if again if if I were to put the other hat on, um, I, I think it's it's much tougher to argue the um, uh, uh, obstruction of Congress uh, because I think there's it's built into our Constitution to some extent that the executive is supposed to obstruct Congress a little bit or that even though Congress is. Uh, listed as the in Article One, that it certainly does not give it uh, complete uh, power over a president, and and the sweeping powers that the House would seek to assert um, would essentially do that. We would make Congress, uh, uh, the the King and and uh, the President, simply a 
uh, sort of servant of Congress. So I, I that's I think there's I think there's the much stronger argument in defense of of uh, the president on on that front as opposed to on the uh, just just sort of sleaziness, general sleaziness, abuse of power, where one might argue. Uh, and I think the other the other uh, conservative argument that I might make would be that uh, you know America deserves better that that type thing. Uh, again, it's not a legal argument. It's 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 more just a, a political argument of listen, is this you know the kind of representation you want of your country? Um, but but that said. Um, I, I I would struggle uh, were I in were I in the Senate to to find a reason or to to be a, to find a principled reason to not vote to convict and and remove President Trump. Really? I guess well, that's you've 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 changed on your position then because I think I mean before when we had talked about this, I think you were all for impeachment in the House, but you didn't think removal yeah. would be appropriate. You know, and and the main reason I. I thought that is I was. You thinking, watched eight hours of Adam Schiff. Not at all. Not at and all. That's not uh, it to you. But I, I mean, the the main reason it was a it was a very kind of strategic political sort of reason, and I was thinking more in terms of short term gain and how might this affect things in the twenty twenty elections and and oh, so forth. But disappointed. I thought I thought that was like a principled stand. That that's where you were, man. I'm, no, not at all. <laughs> no, and the more I mean, in, in part, <laughs> no principles in, whatsoever. No, in part, <laughs> it was that I wasn't. I, I wasn't entirely convinced by the evidence, okay. I, and I've thought about this a lot, and, and now I am. And so, uh, I, I guess the best argument I could make for voting uh, not to remove Donald Trump from office would be the sort of strategic, unprincipled political argument, which was right. the one I said. I mean, or, or I mean, or you could. I mean, I would call that again. There's also the the prudential argument, right? That it's it's just to to remove a a sitting president this close to an election, um, there there is sort of a strain on on legitimacy there, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought about that, but and, then I and, think and, that you know this- what 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 the harm does what does to the country the precedent it sets, uh, the fact that regardless this will be remedied by a, an actual popular election uh, within uh, nine months, ten months. Um, you know that 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 all argues against taking what would be a a really draft. It, it's it's sort of like say you have a this is a bad bad analogy, but um, you know you if you've got a guy who's on death row in ninety five, uh, and he you know the the question is well does do we uh, do we stay his execution? Um, there's sort of the question of well what's what's served by by going forward with it, right? Well, I think what's served by going forward is the fact that is the fact that this guy could very easily win another term, you know. Um, right. And uh, that's why that's why it was a bad analogy. And, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact that and the fact that he is, I believe, uh, a, a criminal. Uh, and so the fact that we have a criminal who seems to be perfectly willing to work with uh, hostile foreign powers for his own political gain—if that—if that doesn't—if that doesn't foreign power, sorry, not, not sorry, not work with. Sorry, that's that was yeah. that was a misstatement on my part. That was to, that was <laughs> to, to act in such a way that would benefit hostile foreign powers. There you go for his own political purposes. Uh, that that to me, if that doesn't rise to the the level of uh, impeachment and removal, then then essentially then essentially nothing does. But okay. uh, well, let me let me close with my one last rhetorical question. And again, you can answer it or not. It's rhetorical. Rhetorical. Sure. Um, but based on the the House's rationale that 
this is is being done for a corrupt purpose, an improper purpose to aid the president's um, uh, domestic uh, right. political Political. standing, right? Take out a a potential political opponent. Um, Wouldn't uh, under what circumstances would it be appropriate to investigate Hunter Biden and or Burisma? Oh, I think I mean, I think it would be perfectly appropriate for the the Justice Department if they had if they had probable cause to go ahead and uh, and good information to investigate any American citizen involved in some way with a with a foreign power that might you know might be a violation. Well, of let me, let me US ask you. I think I, pra- I phrased it imprecisely. Okay. When would it be inappropriate to ask a foreign government? To investigate the actions of, of an American citizen, I don't think it would be uh, necessarily inappropriate under a lot of circumstances if it was done in an in an open way, but done in a, done in the manner that the president did, working largely through his personal attorney, uh, is uh, so. To me, you know, the what's the, the difference? What's the difference whether the the request comes officially from the State Department or whether it comes from from Rudy, Rudy Giuliani? Because Rudy Giuliani is not part of the Trump personally. Because Rudy Giuliani is not part of the United States foreign policy establishment. He's not been uh, nominated and confirmed by the Senate, and he's uh, he is by the very nature of his position focused on the interests of his client first and foremost, and not that of the United States. And so, from from that that standpoint alone, it is completely wrong. Well. Again, plenty of presidents have had personal envoys who have not been officially part of the the, the State Department, and I, I'd also uh, I don't know they've been their personal attorneys. Well, and I also don't know that they've been be. they've been deeply corrupt people like Rudy Giuliani, who everyone around him seems to be some. That's that's the thing, you know. The more you look at these people that Donald Trump has surrounded himself with, the more you just want to just take a shower. Uh, he he's he is just a he is an affront to sure. decency <clears throat> and 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 legality and all that is good about American politics. Uh, he's a, he's a political JFK abomination. Was reportedly sleeping with um, uh, uh, a mobster's girlfriend. I mean, yeah, but th- there's nothing new under the sun. And and I guess again, my my thing is when you go back to if, if your whole purpose if your whole uh rationale in the beginning is look these guys are all corrupt let's get them that that's sort of putting the cart before the horse and the well why should we investigate them because they're corrupt um that's, no, I'm not saying that's, that. I'm that's saying my, that's that... my that's that's my stumbling block is that <laughs> listen if the actions are are not of in and of themselves uh a, a crime and i'm using the word crime loosely meaning you know uh misdemeanor uh, you know high crime misdemeanor um not a statutory violation uh isn't I, 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 that's you see where i'm going here well i mean I, to me i just see all these people around giuliani who've been working with him and i see actual indictments uh, and so i don't think it's a right. question of putting the cart before the horse i think that's like it's a question that donald trump has surrounded himself with criminals and he is a criminal himself and so this is what this is what we're getting because we have a, a government an executive branch run by criminals at this point and so wow. that's why you're I going think, there wow. oh absolutely 
And that's right. why I am convinced that even though it may end up costing my party in the short term, that we have to take a stand and we have to strongly stand up to Donald Trump and his fellow criminals who are running the executive branch. Absolutely. And oh, his and, and the sycophants who are making these excuses for him. The that, sycophants too? Um <laughs> Absolutely. Because well, if you I, well, are if you if you defend criminality for the sake of uh, sort of a Mitch McConnell-esque just win baby kind of strategy, uh, which I, that that to me, you know, I was thinking about this before because, you know, you know how I feel about Mitch McConnell. You know, and I realized that Mitch McConnell is actually like the Bill Belichick of the Senate. You know, he's this sort of like soulless robot. And I, of, I do like Mitch McConnell and I, I do hate Bill Belichick, but I, I would agree with that analogy. You know, so they understand the rules. They know how to manipulate them. It's all about winning and nothing else. There's not a trace of honor or decency. It's just about coming out on top in the end. And that's why I actually dislike Mitch McConnell much more than Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump, there's this... Uh, old, I think I might have mentioned it before on the show, uh, Mike Birbiglia routine about Donald Trump being kind of like a horse in a hospital, you know, it's our, or I'd say like a monkey in a museum. He's just kind of screeching and, you know, hurling crap wherever he goes. Right. And you don't blame the monkey. You blame the people who let him into the museum. So, uh, so yeah, and those are the people I'm blaming. Uh, Donald Trump is just this, this, this horrific criminal id uh, who's just let loose in the government and who did this? Well, that gets back to maybe more systemic problems that we have and how did this man get elected and we, you know, that kind of thing. Let, let me throw out one more thing. Sure. And I keep saying that because we've we've gone long on this topic, but hey, it's, you know, yeah, how often it's do you get impeachment? Topic. No, absolutely. Um, again, in the future, it may be every couple months, but um, what, I mean, you, you mentioned the, you know, how can these sink offense uh, defend uh, President Trump? But isn't there an argument to be made? And 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 look, I've I've certainly made this, and any civil libertarian would have made this. That uh, to some extent, uh, when you defend a a criminal defendant, and let's assume Trump was a criminal, all these people are criminals. Um, there's also inherent in that a defense of the system, right? A defense of of the constitutional system that this person is entitled to a robust defense. Um, and, you know, going back to John Adams defending the the uh, British and the British and the uh, Boston Massacre, uh, uh, you know, so many other horrible, horrible people um, who may have, uh, you know, had had defenses. Uh, but those those defenses helped to uphold the constitutional rights of accused. Yeah. And in this case, there is a, a case to be made, um, whether uh, you you like or dislike Trump. That there is a constitutional uh, case to be made to preserve uh, our powers of the executive, uh, and also a constitutional case to be made that uh, impeachment ought not to be—I um, uh, don't say willy-nilly because you're 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 beyond that point already. But um, but you, I mean you, you you get what I mean. I think there's there can be a principle yeah, me, argument to say I'm going to defend the the, the president on this. Yep. That's not doesn't have to do with with being a sycophant uh, or or being politically cowed. But saying, listen, this is this is an important issue here uh, on separation of powers and on on when we exercise this this extreme power, uh, and and I ought to uh, proceed carefully and and uh, um, 
uh, I, you know, cautiously. I, I absolutely agree with that. I certainly do not question at all the fact that the president, like anyone else accused of, of, of some sort of high crime or misdemeanor or any kind of crime, deserves yeah, medium a, crime or misdemeanor. Yeah, exactly. Deserves a robust and full defense. And there are ways to defend there are ways to defend the client honorably, and there are ways to defend the, the uh, client dishonorably. And so I think there were certain certain parts of the president's defense that are uh, that are reasonable. I may not agree with them, but they're reasonable. You've raised a lot of them. But then there are things like uh, the president's attorneys calling the process rigged and questioning the legitimacy of the process itself. And I think that goes beyond that goes beyond the pale. So you can defend your client fully and fairly without trying to without deciding, hey, I'm going to try to rip down the system itself and that i think goes beyond what is the legitimate duty and honorable duty of someone defending a client and that gets into the where you get to be just throwing your principles away because well it's win at all costs that's okay. that's my issue all right well i think we'll probably have to but i i i, I would have a great comeback to that maybe i mean i'm sure we'll have time to hit it later this <laughs> this ain't over it's so. not yet <laughs> it's not like we won't be talking about um, this again yes Okay, well, before what we else, what else is going on this week, though, Mike? Well, before we get to that, I want to thank our other sponsors for today. The first is Empower, and if you're interested in saving a lot more this year, the Empower app can help make that happen. With Empower, saving and managing your money is a breeze. Their set it and forget it auto save function lets you put in your weekly savings target, and then every day Empower studies your income and spending and automatically moves the right amount of money into your savings account where you're less likely to spend it. And in addition to that, Empower can actually negotiate your phone and cable bills for you, which can be super useful. They've also got actual human being coaches who you can text for individualized recommendations. So if you want to save big this year, download Empower. That's E-M-P-O-W-E-R in the App Store or Play Store. I did, and over 650,000 other people have too. And even better, Politics Guys listeners get $5 when you use offer code Politics Guys and reach your savings goal. So just visit empower.me slash politics guys for more details. And also we're sponsored by SaneBox. You know, until recently, you wouldn't want to see my Gmail inbox. It was uh, a disaster. Then I trade SaneBox. It totally changed things. As your email comes in, SaneBox's AI keeps only the important messages in your inbox and directs all those other distracting and far from important things to your Sane Later folder, which means you immediately know what messages to pay attention to and what can wait. And it also has a bunch of other great features like Sane Black Hole, where you can put messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders, an incredibly useful feature that lets you know if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. And best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email, client, or phone, any way you check your email. So check out how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash politicsguys today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash politicsguys. Okay, Jay. So yeah, next we were going to be talking about moving on from impeachment to, uh, well, uh, something we talked about. Justice Roberts' day job. Yeah, you know, talk about the hardest working guy in in politics this week. Uh, now, this is a case I know that you had been particularly interested in for a while because when we did our we did our uh, 
new term preview thing for the Supreme Court. This was a, a case you you brought up right away. Uh, you want to kind of talk a little bit about what this what this case is and what it's about, why it matters? Sure. The, the uh, Supreme Court heard arguments in a uh, case involving a Montana law that would have allowed uh, sort of a tax uh, refund for contributions to educational uh, institutions, uh, whether those educational institutions are uh, sectarian or non-sectarian. So, for example, if if you gave um, money to a a private nonprofit uh, school, uh, you could get this $150 uh, tax refund. Uh, likewise, if you gave uh, money to uh, uh, a, a uh, you know, St. Whoever's, uh, you know, uh, Catholic school, uh, you could get that same uh, uh, $150 uh, back on your taxes. Um, and the the uh, Montana courts had ruled that this violates the Montana Constitution, which contained uh, what, what was would have been come known as uh, Blaine Amendments. The eponymous uh, representative James Blaine, uh, who in the early um, early part of the the, uh, the century uh, proposed such an amendment uh, nationally, and then it sort of was picked up in, in various states. Uh, and and at that time, it it, it was, and I, I think you and I could agree on this. It was it was an anti-Catholic. Yeah, just just, to, because just were, to be clear, there were waves and waves of people coming coming into this country with with goofy names like Baranowski, and something had to be done. But well, um, but but just to be clear, I, you know, you and Justice Kavanaugh mentioned this, but this uh, this law was passed in 1972, I believe, and so I think the connection to call well calling this a Blaine Amendment, I think, is is certainly a stretch because the argument that this this law was passed in a spirit of violent uh, anti-Catholic bigotry, I think, is is more than a little bit. Of a stretch, but I don't think that matters in the end. But but I think that's uh, that's an unfair characterization. I would say. Well, I, I, you know, I'm I'm happy to be lumped in with uh, with Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, yeah, gee, I would. But be. Let, let's 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 say that the 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 intent, though. I mean, Montana's uh, uh, had had a prior ban in the '72. Uh, you know, was just sort of the the most recent uh, iteration. Uh, and that's that's what the the state argued. Obviously, there's no bigotry because this was enacted in, in 1972. Um, but re- regardless, if you if you set aside the, you know, the motive, because let's set aside motives, right? We were just talking about that. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts as far as um, uh, is is this a a impermissible uh, meddling or of of uh, uh, state support with religious institutions? Given given that uh, two years ago, um, in a uh, uh, different case, um, Trinity Lutheran versus Comer. Uh, the seven we had a seven two uh, majority say, look, uh, state funding to help pave a playground for a Catholic or for Lutheran uh, uh, church playground uh, does not violate the, the establishment clause. Uh, what's the difference if you have a blanket? Uh, you get a tax rebate for any school to which you give uh, donate money, um, and uh, you know where does that leave us? I mean, my my sense is that there, there's going to be five votes. Uh, to to strike down the uh, uh, Montana uh, uh, statute, but amendment, uh, but uh, we'll we'll see. But I think it's I think it's an interesting interesting there were interesting arguments. Um, so I mean, I, yeah. What so what's what's your take on this? Is this a grotesque religious bigotry, or or is this the the uh, uh, imminent uh, theocracy? Well, I think that there are 
three levels at which I look at this. There's the policy level, there is the technical standing level, and then there is the uh, First Amendment Establishment Clause level. And so let's let's take those in, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't oh, know numerical order. In, yeah. in sort of random order. First oh, okay. on the First Amendment Establishment Clause level, which is really the kind of key principle here. Now, right. the Establishment Clause, I think it's well accepted, means, of course, that Congress can't establish a state religion or favor religion. But more generally, it means that the law needs to be neutral with regard to religion. Um, right. And, and so it seems to me, given how this program is set up, the aid to schools, it's, it's very indirect. It's not direct aid given to religious schools, right? And right. it's true that around 70% of the private schools in Montana have a religious affiliation. Um, so – but that's probably true of a lot of private. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that was probably not too far yeah. off for most of the country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so it seems to me that I, I think that this this law is is perfectly permissible. And I find the arguments that were made at the Supreme Court uh, by by the left here sort of odd in a way because the argument was basically one of the main arguments, uh, not not the standing argument, which I want to get to in a minute, um, is that. It's okay for the state to either what they call level up or level down. And I agree. Right. And what they mean by that is the state was well within its rights to either make a program available to all, regardless of religious affiliation, or not give it to anyone. That's level. That would be leveling down. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, that's the argument is, well, no one has anything to complain about because, well, we struck – we struck the program, but we struck it equally for yeah. for religious or non-religious. Nobody gets nobody gets a tax rebate now. But but here's the problem to me, at least. Here, it's not the legislature that's making this leveling down decision. The legislature already decided to level up, right? Because the right. legislature said we're going to level up. We're going to make this available to everyone. And I, I would argue if they didn't, then they would there would be a, a separate problem. But absolutely, then yeah. it was the state supreme court that decreed that the state had a level down. And I don't think that follows at all. So if the legislature had of its own volition canceled this program, had you know, voted to rescind this program, then I would say, yeah, absolutely. There's no case here. There's no, you know, there's yeah. nothing that was, but it wasn't the legislature that did that. It was the court. And so that's a barrier I can't get over. And that's well, where I think there's hope the for you yet. Well, there's, yeah. So <laughs> now, now, on the standing issue, though, I think there's a much better argument. In fact, Justice Roberts actually seemed to be somewhat sympathetic to this argument as well, because the funding is given directly to the schools, not the parents. And so the proper plaintiff here would presumably be a religious school that was denied funding. And so I think that if this goes in the favor or if the, if the liberal justices have their way, it's going to be because it's going to be because Justice Roberts joins them on the standing issue. And I could see that certainly happening. And finally, yeah. oh, we, actually, before I get into finally, what, what do you think about the standing question? I, I think um, um, a, cu a couple of things. It's it's almost and maybe it's a little cheating to say, look, if the court didn't really think that it was going to be standing my senses, maybe they wouldn't have taken Why the case take in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Um, now, again, that's, you know, that, that's sort of a, it only you know, takes reading, four. Stuff, reading, reading stuff between the right. It only takes four. Um, but still, if, if, if the issue were, were that clear cut that, look, I don't think this is the case. Right. Uh, and if, if we are going to issue a, a big decision and strike something down, uh, a big first amendment decision, 
you would the sense would be you'd you'd want it to be a clean case, right? And this is not, not now that that doesn't that that of course that means absolutely nothing. That's just me sort of trying to to get in the heads of of the the justices. Um, that said, uh, I think this does come down to it's there's sort of a liberty interest on behalf of the parents of of who they give that money to and and what they get get it for you know if you know what i mean um so i think there's a standing argument to be made even though uh it's the schools that receive the money it's the, the parents who were then receive the money back in the form of a a tax refund yeah and see that that seems to me that to be that sort of super weak standing argument along the lines of when people would try to argue standing because i'm a taxpayer and of course the court has said um no that's not right, right. Uh, no 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 yeah obviously there's no taxpayer standing um and I don't but, mean it's, this, but this would be a situation where a the state has established essentially a a a benefit or a right, um, and uh, you are are seeking to exercise that right, and it's a a monetary right. You have a right to get your hundred fifty dollars uh, for you know whoever you you make contributions to. Um, Except and now the state has has suspended that right so it, it's you know the well the see party here's my question harmed. though I'm saying, it, what i'm saying is the party is being hard it's not simply an interest standing of of hey this is a policy i don't like i'm going to sue yeah I, no 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 yeah but i mean it's it's so indirect right because you give right. anyone can give the tax credit or give the money then they get the tax credit then it goes to a charity a scholarship program right. that gives it then to a school i mean we've got like three layers it is, of separate- it's, it's less it's less clear for example than in uh straight out like voucher programs yeah exactly when exactly. The, when there is a just direct subsidy from the state to the parents and there's not an intermediary oh and we made a donation and then we applied for this yes i know i, I get that i agree i agree with you um wholeheartedly on that that it's kind of like there'd be a cleaner way to do this yeah I mean, um, on the substance here, on on the First Amendment issue, you and I, you and I agree. Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. and I think you would also agree that if Montana, if the state legislature just ended the program, that would be okay too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not them doing that. I think you and I just generally tend to. Tend right. I mean, to, and, and I say, yeah, from a from a purely legal. Yeah. I mean, I I think it policy wise, I think it's a it's a fine program. Um, well, but that, yeah, there yeah. Will be no, there will be no legal claim if, if, if the state just decides it's not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the other area I wanted to mention on, on more general policy grounds. I knew we disagree on this. I think the tax credit idea is, is a horrible policy idea, you know, and, and I, I feel that way about voucher programs and all those other things that the state, you know, that the states take their limited funds in the first place and shunt them from public to private schools. I, I mean, I feel that's really damaging to the public school system and, and that the focus, the policy focus should be much more on giving public schools the resources they need to fairly compete and not to drain them of resources. But I mean, I, I knew that you would not disagree with, or, or you would not agree with me on that, on those policy that's grounds, correct. because yes. you want to destroy the public school systems. <laughs> so that's what I'm all you about. Bastard. Like, you bastard. Yeah, exactly. You got my number. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, I, I thought, like I said, I thought that on, on the First Amendment issue, we would probably see things eye to eye. And on the policy issue, we would not come anywhere close to seeing things eye yeah. to eye. So yeah, from now, from the, the uh, faithful to the faithless. Oh, yeah. Very um, nice. Yeah. How, how, how good am I? <laughs> um, yeah, the other uh, case, and again, this is a little preliminary to talk about because it's not like it's been argued, but the court agreed to accept uh, a case which would... Uh, determine whether or not um, 
supreme or uh, uh, presidential electors are can be bound uh, by their their states as to to who to vote for. Um, and I think this is this is a, a fascinating question. Um, you know, it, it's typically it's never really been a real issue, uh, right. but it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's it's again, this is one of those things like I talked about that we're kind of getting into that quantum world of, of like really bizarre stuff that, that, uh, we don't see every day. And, you know, if you look really, really hard, you can see it. And, and sometimes it's, it's kind of disturbing. Um, but there is a, certainly the, there's nothing in the constitution. Um, at least as I read it, that, that would say that, uh, an elector has to vote any particular way. Um, uh, typically, the states have required their electors to vote for whoever wins the majority uh, in that state. And typically, uh, aside from an occasional symbolic type uh, situation, I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, Reagan Mondale in in '88. I think there was, you know, there wasn't there like one elector. Well, um, there were there were actually in in 2016 there were there were ten. Faithless yeah. elector or potentially faithless electors, right. and uh, but, I, but I'm saying I'm saying the, the the one was it was kind of a more I don't know just kind of nice smile kind of thing in sure in that, yeah yeah and that the, the idea that the only person who had ever won uh, the entire electoral college was uh, George Washington, and they wanted to preserve that tradition, and so somebody you know yeah. threw in a vote from just to to keep that. Um, whereas there were sort of protest votes in in 2016 yeah. uh, for for John Kasich in some cases. Um, yeah, you, you know, to me, this is an interesting case because it seems to me we have two related questions here. Number one, can states set basically whatever standards they want for presidential electors? And I think the answer to that question, looking at the Constitution, is yes. But then the where it gets interesting is the second question, can states take action against electors who violate the standards under which they were chosen for the position? And to me... The answer is no, and that's only because I think a basic common sense understanding for the very reason for the existence of the Electoral College and any reading of what the framers had to say about why they created it makes it clear that they wanted the electors to exercise independent judgment. And so if they're locked into voting, well, there'd be no point to have electors. You just would have an automatic system where the electors would be where the electoral votes would be awarded automatically. Right. right. And so to me, the bigger the bigger thing, what I'd like to see is, you know, that is I just like to see an end to the Electoral College. Of course, uh, you know, my, my first preference would be for a national popular vote. But as a compromise, I think that in the, the Maine and Nebraska system at least gets part of the way there. And for folks who don't know how that right. works, and that, that would be. Yeah, go ahead. It's go. that in Maine and Nebraska, two electoral votes go to the statewide popular vote winners. You can think of that as sort of their, the Senate electoral votes, right? And the other electoral votes go to the winner of each of the congressional districts. So there are two of those in Maine and, and, and three in Nebraska. And so what I really like about this sort of idea is it would give people in places like, say, Orange County in California or Dallas, Texas would give them a presidential vote that might actually matter, might actually mean something without, I mean, while still uh, sort of honoring, if you will, or appreciating the arguments of the people who would say the presidential, in the presidential election, it's not just people who are voting, it's states who are voting and are represented. And so it maintains some of that balance. I, I'm not 
I'm not entirely convinced by that argument, but at least it it gives a pretty big weight to that argument. Yeah, and and, and and also nice, you know, it's nice that it doesn't require any sort of a constitutional amendment or anything like that. And obviously, two states already, you know, already do it. So I was kind of curious on that larger issue. What, what what you thought about what you thought about that the Maine and Nebraska system? Well, you know, this the Maine and Nebraska again. I I would agree with with you on. Uh, I would respect states' rights to do what what they want to do um, with their. Um, uh, electors, uh, whether or not is, is a good policy decision. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, at this point, I mean, I think the Maine and Nebraska experience hasn't, hasn't changed much. Right. They have so few, I mean, if exactly. California have, did it in Texas. So few, yeah. And, and I think as a, as a practical matter, uh, the, the overwhelming, you know, it, it's not going to be close enough and the overwhelming, um, uh, votes, if you do it by, by district are still going to, um, track what the popular vote is for that state. Um, you know, Largely, it, it, sure, but but I mean, in in a close presidential election, if there are a few electoral votes here and there, that could make a big right. difference. Right. Um, so that's, I guess, that's that's the the thing, and I guess we we would need to think about um, does that uh, do people voting in a city have their own elector, or do states have electors? Well, I mean, states obviously states the, can decide how to win yeah. their electors. Yeah, and, and so I'm not, I'm not kind of questioning. Questions. I'm not questioning yeah. that states don't have the right to decide their own systems. I'm just saying that the system that Maine and Nebraska uh, have adopted, I think, is a system that gives that provides for better representation than the than the system than the winner take all system that the other states have uh, have have uh, taken up. Would well is, is in well. Let me ask this though: Is better representation is that consistent with what the founders would have would have wanted? When when if you look at the electoral college, the idea is, and I, and I think you you and I both agree on this, was to make it um, less subject to the public passions and so well, forth, yeah. right? And, and for to instance, have a, a yeah. backstop, and it, that's that's a very uncomfortable thing for us as Americans to think about. Not me. Um, and oh. that's just because I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that the founders were, were demigods and that we should bow and kneel to them and all that sort of thing. You know, I mean, obviously they didn't think that direct election of senators was a good thing or it would have been in a constitution, you know? And so, right. so I, I think that, uh, for, for the world of today, better representation, uh, more accurate representation is absolutely a good thing. We don't live in the, the world of 1789, and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. And so a lot of the, the institutional the, uh, design that they put together that made perfect sense to them back then uh, isn't necessarily as fitting. And so we should, you know, that's why they created in part some of this flexibility for states to change their arrangements and so forth. So they could adapt it as opposed to just sort of this, this unthinking fealty to the framers. But, but, uh, but what I meant by that, that question though, was you would acknowledge and think in, in the, the first premise that, um, the Constitution would seem to allow the, the federal Constitution would seem to allow for faithless electors. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's no question in my mind. I think that's to me. I, it seems so, to me. To so be, in other words, you, I mean, you think more people should be uh, uh, elected by a different different segments, but still not bound to them. 
Well, no, I would just do away with I would just do away with the electoral college uh, entirely, and maybe ah, keep electoral right, votes. Right. Okay, I got. But it. I not got having you. the intermediary of the electors. Exactly. Yes, I think it's you would just, have the automatic designation rather than. Well, yeah. my, my first preference would be a national popular vote, but my secondary position would be a nationwide Maine and Nebraska system. Yeah, because I'll take – Hey, I, I, I certainly think that the uh, – you know, I, I would like the, the ideal, but I wouldn't take ha- – I wouldn't refuse half a loaf, certainly. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a totally idealistic about that. I'm happy to get whatever I can get basically. Gotcha. So, All right. Well, no, I, I appreciate that's That's where you're coming from. Um, yeah, my uh, I, I I would just I mean I, I you know we'll have more to talk about this when the case actually gets oh, to sure. the court and is actually briefed and argued, um, uh, but there there will likely be a a decision before the twenty twenty yeah. election. Um, and you know, which, just, I, which I think regardless is a good thing. It it just seems hard for me to envision a majority of the court just going against sort of the plain purpose. Of an elect of having electors yeah. in the first place, and just say, well, no, electors can be can be bound when it just goes against the whole structural idea of having individuals in this position. So uh, right. I, I don't it, it know. Present, like I said, it presents an uncomfortable question. Yeah, it's yeah it's, because it's something we don't we don't think about because we assume the world is one way. But when you look really close, it may be another. That is that is true. I never thought we talk about so much quantum indeterminacy yeah. on the show yeah. that we have this week. But maybe we'll talk about more of that in the bonus show. But uh, we're we're done with the main show for today. But we will be talking about some other stuff on the bonus show. There's also our weekly quick take, which Kristen has this week. And of course, Patreon supporters get all of that as well as ad-free versions of every episode of the show. And so uh, we do hope you'll check out this week's sponsors, Pawnee Public Forum and Power and Sanebox. You'll find links to all of them in the show notes. And of course, even with ads, it's support from listeners like you that enables us to keep the show going. And as a monthly sustaining supporter on Patreon, you get special bonus content, those completely ad-free episodes, and a lot more. Check it out. Out, go to patreon.com slash politics guys and if you want to get in touch with us that's mail at politicsguys.com for more great discussions check out our bipartisan politics subreddit the urls there in the show notes and we've also got our facebook page that's facebook.com slash politics guys page and we're on twitter at politics guys we would appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave ratings and reviews, and most especially share your favorite episodes on social media or any other way. The executive producer of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Will Moreno, Andre Masker, and Daniel Toe. Today's show is produced by Jay Carson and Michael Baranowski. Our opening theme is Rolling at Five by Kevin McLeod. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.